Tonight we want to review a little bit, and by the way, I'm feeling really good tonight, but I, but I made a commitment to try to keep it down. Last night I got so exuberant, uh, but tonight I just want to try to go over some points that we know, but maybe we've forgotten, and just kind of little review a little bit, and make sure we're all on the same page in our Christian walk. What we've talked about, about the need for change in our life, is that we need to absolutely change ourselves, for if there was no need for change, then why did Jesus Christ tell everyone to repent? In Acts 17.30, God is commanding all men everywhere to repent. But in what areas we need to change in our life, those are things that the Bible continually gives us even lists from which to review and sometimes check off even. We've asked you to focus on some of these things and to start working on some of them because sometimes Christians are forgetful hearers. The book of James tells us some people can look into the mirror of God's Word and see where we need to uh, correct, what we need to shape up or clean up or, or be prepared so we can be prepared to meet God. But some people go away and immediately forget what manner of men or what kind of people that we are. We compare ourselves among ourselves. We tend to judge ourselves by others, and if we can find other people worse than we are, then we think we're better. If we think we can find uh, 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 other people that are the same as we are, then that's all we need to do to feel confident that we must be following Jesus. And that's not necessarily the case. The Bible warns us, if you compare yourselves among yourselves, you're not wise. You're not wise. So the fact of the matter is, is in Christianity, the measure isn't whether we're better than anyone else. It's are we imitating Jesus? And the Bible continually tells us to fix our eyes upon Him for examining ourselves. The measure of the stature that belongs to Jesus Christ is what we're supposed to be measuring up to. That is our goal, is to imitate Him. We've noticed in the Scriptures in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21, You have been called for this purpose since Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in His steps. Now this is just more than in suffering. This is the example that Jesus set by the way He lived. That's why the Gospels record how He dealt with circumstances. is so we can learn how to deal with circumstances like He did. So we've got to be imitators of Jesus Christ. Paul said, be ye followers of me as I also am of Christ. He continually pointed people to Jesus. And he says, he is the example. He's the one whose steps you're supposed to follow. He is the one you're supposed to conform your life to. As we noticed in the book of Romans, we were predestined by God to be conformed to his image, to be transformed as we've noticed other scripture says in 1 Corinthians. Well, there are many, many passages. We don't want to re-preach all the lessons that we've given earlier in this series. But it's surprising to me how so many people define their Christian walk by what they do in worship only. In other words, they believe that if they're worshiping correctly three hours a week, that they're following Jesus 24-7, 365. And that is just not the case. Many people leave here without the attitudes of Jesus, without the heart of Jesus, without concern for the lost, without concern for their family and their husband and their wife and their children and their job. You look at their morality, you look at the way they live outside the assembly, and you know they don't know the Lord. 
The Bible says in 1 John, Hereby do we know that we know Him, if we keep His commandments. This is how we reflect our knowledge of Jesus. We understand His position in our life. And we reflect that by the way we live. It's what we learn in the assembly that equips us to go out and live the Christian life. Being in the assembly and worshiping God in spirit and truth collectively is important. Don't ever get me wrong. That is absolutely imperative that we, because the Bible says we must worship God in spirit and truth. John 4, verse 23 and 24. And when the Bible says must, we better pay attention. We better pay attention. But my friends, some people, uh, that is the only measure that they have in their life. And that is absolutely foreign to Christianity. Christianity is a way of life that we live outside of this assembly. It is the attitudes we possess whenever we meet others, rich or poor, or of a different race than us. The Bible continually points out that we've got to put away attitudes that affect the way we make decisions and the way we interact with circumstances. Let's look at a few passages that we've looked at so many times before. In Ephesians, the fourth chapter, notice what he says here in Ephesians 4. <coughs> in verse uh, 19, they have become callous. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 19. They have become callous, having given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ you did not learn Christ in this way. This isn't the example of Jesus. Jesus didn't live a life of licentiousness, of fleshly indulgence. No, you didn't learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard of him and taught him, just as the truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your... Very plain. In reference to your former manner of life. There were, uh, I believe the King James word, if I'm not incorrect there, is the word conversation. Is that right? The word conversation has changed meaning since 1611. And it, then a conversation might have been what was reported about someone. But this word literally means manner or way of life. And so he says, whenever you were, before you were a Christian, you had a way of life that is now foreign to you. You put it away. You put it off. And so he begins to use this metaphor of taking off and putting on in the rest of the passage. Notice what he goes on to say. Verse 22, that in reference to your former ma uh, manner of life, you lay aside uh, the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new Put on, yes, there's the idea, and put on the new self which is uh, in the likeness of God and has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, and he describes what this is, therefore, lay aside falsehood, be angry and sin not. He gives a whole list here describing the manner of life of a Christian. He must not steal, verse 28. No unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, verse 29. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, verse 31. Be kind, tender-hearted to one another, forgiving each other just as God has forgiven you. Verse 32. This is Christianity described. This is the measuring stick. He says, here's how you know you're following Jesus. Here's how you know you're living in His image. If you've put these things out and you've put these things on. That's a description. You know, how many times has Christianity 
been talked about whenever we're talking about worship. And I, that, my friends, I, like I said, I'm not trying to downgrade that. I'm trying to get us not to be deceived into thinking that just because we worship correctly, we must have holy lifestyles. That is not necessarily the case. Look at the church at Laodicea in Revelation, the third chapter. They thought they were rich and increased with goods and had need of nothing. But Jesus said, don't you know you're poor, you're blind, you're naked. You haven't got anything. You're destitute. You're morally bankrupt. They thought that the assembly would take care of their whole life. And it doesn't. The assembly is part of a Christian's life. Worshiping God collectively is one aspect of a Christian's life. But my friend, if Christ means nothing to you outside of the assembly, if your Christianity is only defined by what you do in an assembly, you have a different gospel. You have a different concept than the Bible concept of imitating Jesus. He said it is a lifestyle. It is a manner of living. It is a way we interact every day. It's a way we treat our wife. It's the way we treat our children. It's the way we treat our parents. It's the way we interact with our boss at work. It's the way we treat our neighbors. It's the way we react every day that lets us know that we really are following Jesus Christ. And that is so critically important. Let's look at a passage in Colossians right quick. If you have your Bibles, flip over there to Colossians, the third chapter. Notice what he says here. Well, we're not going to have time to read the whole chapter, but notice in verse 5 he says, Consider your bodies dead to immorality. Uh, Of course a Christian, somebody who's following Jesus, does not commit immorality. Notice he says, uh, impurity, passions, evil desires, greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things the wrath of God is coming. In other words, here's the reason why God is going to execute judgment on the world. is because people behave in this way toward one another. Notice in which once, verse 7, you also walked when you were living in them, but now you also put them all aside. I want you to underline that. Put them all aside. This is just as much a command as worship God in spirit truth, friends. Just as much. You better not be saying this is more important than this. I want you to know the Christian life, the manner in which we live is just as important as the way we worship. Because they both reflect the same heart. They both reflect our commitment and our devotion to God. We've got to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Not just in the assembly, but with our life. We've got to love God with our life. We've got to be a living sacrifice, Romans 12. Which is appropriate. A whole, acceptable sacrifice. Which is our reasonable service. Notice in verse 8. But now, Colossians 3, put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie one to another, since you've laid aside the old self with its evil practices. He talks about it in the past tense. This is something we've got to repent of. Maybe now, Acts 17.30 is making sense. God is commanding all men everywhere to repent. That is to change, to change the direction of our life into one following ourself, following the world, following the flesh, to one of following Jesus Christ. And in his steps we will walk. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Imitating Jesus. And he says Jesus didn't have any of these things. Notice verse 10. And having put on the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge, according, listen, according to the image of the one who created him. 
Isn't that amazing? God tells us that we're being renewed into that image. That's what, that's what Hebrews 12 is meaning when it says fixing our eyes on Jesus. Fixing our eyes. That means we look at Him. And if He wouldn't do it, we don't do it. And if He would do it, we do it. Because we're imitators of Jesus Christ. Notice, oh, notice He, tell, he goes on and describes Jesus. Notice verse 12. So though having those been chosen by God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone. Notice what he says. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. He, he, he tells us to think of what Jesus did. Think of what Jesus did. We're going to talk about Stephen before this meeting is over. But you know, Stephen, whenever he was dying, I'm sure what Jesus did was on his mind because he, like Jesus, said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Isn't that amazing? Now that's how we know we've got the life of Christ in us. That's how we know we're imitating Jesus is whenever we can say, what would Jesus do in this situation? And I will do that. That's what we're talking about. Beyond all these things, verse 14, put on love which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Well, enough of our review tonight. This is such an important point that we don't get a wrong concept of what religion is all about. Whenever we talk about Christianity, we're talking about a people who follow Christ because that's what the word means. And if you're not behaving like Christ when you're in your home, if you're not behaving like Christ with your husband, with your wife, with your children, with your neighbor, if you're not honest above board and have these qualities in your spirit and in your mind, then don't deceive yourself into thinking, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm not imitating Jesus. Really, I don't think there is such a thing. In fact, it's just pretty evident that a person who thinks that such a thing can exist is deceived. That's the whole point. Don't think you can be angry, you can be wrathful, you can be dishonest, you can be all those things and still be a Christian. That's just a deception of Satan. We must have a lifestyle that reflects our knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We've talked about how that in Luke 6 and verse 40, if you're taking notes, The Bible says a disciple or a student, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Whenever we're mature in our knowledge of Jesus Christ, then we will behave and react, act and react like Jesus. In Matthew 28, verse 19 through 20, Jesus wants us to become his disciples. And as his disciples, we're taught all things that he brought from the Father. And the Bible tells us we're to be conformed to the image of his Son, Romans 8. And verse 29. Well, whenever we read some of these lists in the scriptures of things to put off and things to put on, and I've asked you each to do some homework and begin to specifically identify areas that you need to change in your morality, that you need to perfect holiness, the Bible talks about, we're going to talk about hope before this is over as well. But listen to this. Those who are Christians are always growing in this area. The Bible says he who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself that word purify means to make single make a single substance whenever something is said to be pure gold that means it's without any other impurities 
And those who have their eyes fixed on Jesus, those who have their hope fixed on Him, they will purify themselves. As they grow, their life becomes more and more pure. As they mature, their life gets more and more consistent to the image of Jesus. Now, I'm, Jesus is sinless perfection. And sometimes we say, well, that's, I'm not there yet. Well, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and no one questions his maturity, said he buffeted his body daily and made it his slave, lest after he preached to others, he himself should be a castaway. Paul understood that this process of maturity is an estate you get to and then you relax. It's something you do every day. So Christian, regardless of where you're at, I hope you know that you've not reached a state of perfection, but hopefully you have reached a state of maturity. Those are two different things. Two different things. One implies flawlessness. And Paul had to daily make sure he was obedient. He had to continually, every moment, make sure that he had the mind of God and wasn't distracted by the temptations and lusts of the flesh. He had some tools available to him that helped him succeed in his daily walking after Jesus' walk. Can we identify some of those tools for ourselves? Yes, we can. We've talked about some of these things before, but tonight I would like you to take notes because once we've identified what aspects we want to lay aside and what aspects we want to add, there are some things that will help us in our Christian development. <clears throat> First of all, whenever we talk about uh, change in our life, we have to do some mental, uh, mentally, uh, some exercise, if you will, to make sure we've got the target actually set in our heart and in our mind. That is, to be very clear about what we're aiming for. What is it we're exactly wanting to change? You know, in any business, they say they want a business plan. What is it that your business does? Write it down. And some, if businesses don't do that, sometimes they often fail because they get to going in so many directions and their energies are not focused. You have to know what you do in your business. You have to know. And as Christians, we have to know as well. We have to have a plan. We have to have some specific things of what we're doing every day of our life. What am I doing this week? How am I growing this week? How am I going to grow closer to Jesus every day? We need spiritual goals. Each of us needs spiritual goals. A lot, of the reason, a lot of the reasons why we never travel from where we are to where he is is we never look at a map. We never know what our goal is. So the first thing we need to know is what is our goal? What is our goal? What is it exactly that we're shooting for? Now we need to identify where we're at on this map. Some of us in this map, if you will, are over here. Some are over here. Maybe this is where we're headed right here. Some start at a different place than what we may have to start. And still so others may be here and they have to go in a different direction. But wherever we start from, that's personal. This doesn't move. Jesus is, Jesus is the same. Jesus is static. He is, he is stable. He is always where he is, always is. And if you're not with him, it's not because he moved. It's because you're, you're not there yet. You need to get there. So what is it that you... Some of you don't need to work on hospitality. Some of you don't need to work on love. Still others may have to work on putting aside hatred out of their life. Others may need to work on self-discipline. Add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and knowledge. King James says temperance. That word temperance means self-control. Perhaps that's something we need to work on. Perhaps it's the tongue. Perhaps it's jealousy. 
I don't know what it is, but you know what it is. You know where you are. If a map is going to be helpful, you have to know where you are. And then that map also has to tell you where he is, where that is you want to go. So first of all, get you a goal. You have to be specific. Write down that goal. Make it clear. And then we're going to have to work. Now this goal can either, as we've already noticed, can be putting off or putting on something. But it is something. It's either one or the other. It's either putting off something or putting on something. Make sure it's a goal. Make sure it's a, Maybe you need to work at being more loving or more kind or less hateful or bitter or whatever it is. But whatever it is, make sure you have a goal. Then, secondarily, you have to have a plan. Sometimes plans involve others. If you want, for instance, if you say the Bereans were more noble than those of Thessalonica and that they studied the word daily and the others studied the word daily and I need to study the word daily and I need to get this into my life daily, you may have to incorporate your husband or wife cooperation and your children. You may have to have to say, honey, this is a plan for spiritual growth and this is where I want to go. And is this someplace where you want to go? You know, Amos 3.3 says, can two walk together except they be agreed? We're going to have to have an on the right goal here. And raising our children, we're going to have to have the right, the same boundaries. We're going to have to agree. And that may mean you have to sit down with your mate and make up some plans about where you want to go. You may have to look at your work because maybe your work won't let you to make different plans. Maybe your work is something you're going to have to change in order to please God. You know, I've met a lot of people uh, and studied with a lot of different people about becoming Christians. And I'll tell you what, it's amazing what you meet out there. You don't normally meet people that have to change their vocation in order to become Christians. But if you get out there and talk with people, you're going to meet somebody that Christ is going to change their entire life, turn it upside down and dump it out, and they're going to have to start building all over again. Have to start building all over again. I've talked with prostitutes. And how that live, I, I can't continue to live in the lifestyle to which I have grown accustomed if I become a Christian. You go, that's right. Now, I haven't talked to a hitman yet, but I did talk to an enforcer for the Hells Angels about obeying the gospel one time. And he beat up a lot of people. And I told him, I'm sorry, but I just can't imagine Jesus doing that. Can you? I just really challenged him with the image of following Jesus. And he said, no, Glenn, you're right. I'm going to have to quit my job. But that's going to be quite, I'm going to be taking my life in my hands if I change my job, if I tell him I'm quitting. I said, it's either your life or your soul. What's it going to be? What's it going to be? Now, my friends, most of us don't have to change that drastically. But you may. If, you're require, if your work requires you to lie all the time, if your, require, if your work requires you to be immoral or unethical, you may have to change jobs. I don't care if the rest of the world approves of it. You know, one of the things that divides this country is the fact that abortion is justified by our culture and by law. But I don't care how much the law says it's okay. It's not okay. People have to change whenever they come to Jesus Christ, even if it's a respected profession acknowledged and approved of by men. 
You have to determine what it is specifically. And then you have to make plans to change that. You have to make some, you have to go and you have to say, I need some help, I need some cooperation, I need to get from here to there. And make some plans, do some changing in my life. And lastly, all the goals and all the plans in the world won't do any good if there's no effort put forth to change. You know, I know people who have a good set of plans. I've been drawing these plans all my life. The house still ain't built. That's the whole point. Just because you know what the Bible teaches, just because you're familiar, just because that may be a goal that you want to get that into your life or that out of your life isn't good enough until you put forth the effort, make the decision, make the commitment that it will happen and it will happen now, today. Today will be the day. How many people have tried to stop smoking, but they never did it? They never did it. And that's what I'm talking about here. In Christianity, the same patterns, the same principles that lead to success in the world lead to success spiritually. Here's the point. Make sure your eyes are on the goal. Make sure you know exactly what you're going to put off and put on. Make a record of it, write it down, and we're going to notice some other keys in just a moment. Make a plan, and then literally put forth the effort to bring about that change. It may mean putting off companions, for evil companions corrupt good morals. You may have to get some new environment. You may have to turn off the radio. You may have to play other kinds of music. You may have to watch other kinds of shows. But whatever it takes to be holy, you need to get that into your life. And whatever makes it unholy, whatever corrupts needs to be out. So it's an effort. Christianity is not, oh, not friends, this isn't easy. But there are many people who think that Christianity is easy. They've never paid the price or counted the cost. Being a Christian is some of the most difficult changes you'll ever have in your life. But yet it is the most rewarding. Because whenever we design our homes, whenever we design our life after God's will, then it functions as God designed for it to function. The relationships will be as God designed, and we will have peace in our hearts, even though we may not find contentment in our circumstances. One of the things that we're going to conflict right here is lust. And putting off and putting on, literally, one of the things right here that we're going to confront, often in goal setting, is lust. The Bible says that we must actively stop impure thoughts in order to end impure actions. In Matthew the 15th chapter and verse 19, the Bible says, out of the heart comes adultery, fornication, etc., etc., etc. Out of the heart is where sin comes from. And so we've got to guard the hearts and our minds. We've got to, we've got to guard our lust. Lust means unlawful desire. A desire for that which is unlawful in our mind. In 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 5, the Bible says we are to demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That means make sure we keep our thoughts corralled. And my friends, our TVs, you know, they used to preach against TVs. But it's not. It's not the TV that's evil. People preach on it. It's not the radio that's sinful. People preach on it. It's not the printing press that's evil. They print 
the Bibles, as well as pornography. It's not the printing press. It's not the TV. It's not the radio. It's not the computer. Those are just mediums for messages. But we've got to choose the message we listen to. We watch, we pick up, we indulge in. We've got to choose that. It's not the movie that's wrong. It's what movie you go see. It's what song you listen to. It's what book you read. That's the point. We've got to learn to discern, Christians. Because whenever we put garbage in, we get garbage out. That's right. The Bible says, bring every thought captive. Guard your heart. And it's something nobody else can do for you. Guard your heart. Proverbs 23 and verse 17. Listen. Do not let your heart envy sinners. That's pretty straightforward. Don't let your heart envy sinners, but live in the fear of the Lord always. Do not let. Who's responsible? I am if I let my heart. The Bible says you. Do not let your heart envy sinners. How many times have you said, well, I don't do that, I'm a Christian, but I sure would like to. That's letting your heart envy sinners. I'd like to, but I can't. I'm a Christian. I'm going to get caught. It's wrong. That's whenever we're lust. That's, where, that's the cultivation in our heart where lust can plant a seed. My friends, don't let that happen. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but live in the fear of the Lord always. Remember, the Lord knows the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts. 1 Chronicles 28, 9. Do some weeding in the garden of our mind. Point number two. We've said this before when talking about how to bring about change in our life. Point number two. Well, we want to call point number one, and you guys have heard me say this before. That means stop stinking thinking. That's what we've always called it. That's what, <laughs> that's what Zig Ziglar calls it. Stop stinking thinking. It means control our thoughts. But number two, there's something that feed our thoughts. The Bible tells us to memorize specific scriptures. In other words, put scriptures in our mind. Memorize scriptures that have to do with whatever you're working on. If you've got a goal over here, memorize scriptures that have to do with that goal. If you've got trouble with gossip, memorize scriptures that have to do with gossip. Look in the book of Proverbs. Look in the book of James when it talks about the trunk. tongue. Excuse me. That one's going to be quoted. I can... <laughs> what are we talking about here? Memorize scriptures that have to do with whatever you're working on. That is specific. That is a tool. Jesus, whenever he was tempted, used that. What did he say whenever Satan came his way? It is written. It is written. Thou shalt not do. Jesus had those words in his mind, those living words in his mind, those words that empowered him to overcome the lusts of the flesh. The Bible says in James 1 and verse 21, receive the word implanted. Engrafted is the King James word, but unfortunately, that word doesn't really get the job done. The word doesn't mean to add it to, it means to plant it in. Receive the word implanted in. Our heart, which is able to save our souls. It's able to do what? Save our souls. Parents, you want to save your children? Put the word, plant the word in their hearts and in their minds. Teach them to memorize scripture. 
And if you don't know what to teach them, perhaps you need to memorize it right along with them. You need to memorize it right along with them. I remember being raised. I remember one of the first scriptures that I had to memorize. It's the one every child should memorize. Ephesians 6.1 Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. I was so glad when I got up and could teach Dad. Hey, Dad, I found one for you. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. There's one you got to work on. <laughs> yeah. We all need to be working on some scriptures. We really do. If you don't know the books of the Bible, memorize it, teach your children, and guess what? You'll learn too. By teaching your children, you'll learn. That's the whole key. Get the Word of God into our hearts and into our minds. Write them on our hearts and our minds because that's where God wants them kept. He doesn't want to put them in a book and lay it on a shelf. You should keep them. He said, I'll put them in your heart and in your mind. I will write them. Memorize scriptures that have to do with your problem. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God, Ephesians 6, 17. And it needs to be where the battle is in our hearts and in our minds. 1 John 4, verse 17, Colossians 3, and verse 16. Notice the Bible says in Matthew 4, no, excuse me, Psalms 119.11, Thy word have I treasured in my heart that I may not sin against thee. I tell you, there's nothing like remembering a passage when you're about to commit a sin that'll keep you from sin. It'll guard your heart. It'll guard it. And I'm sure each one of you can give an example of that. You may be about to tell a lie. You may be get to gossip. You may be tempted to commit fornication. You may be tempted to do steal something. But that scripture comes to your mind. And it keeps you from doing that which is forbidden by God. Memorize scriptures that have to do with your problem. David said, thy word have I treasured in my heart that I may not sin against thee. Psalms 119 and verse 11. Point number three. How many Christians have tried to overcome through fleshly knowledge and all this other stuff without prayer? Pray. The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews, chapter 4 and verse 16, to pray and ask God for help in time of need. It went in time of need. In time of need. That means we ought to be praying right whenever we're being tempted, right whenever we're working on this goal of putting something off. Oh, it's about to raise its ugly head. It's about to do something. I'm about to have this, that, and the other. You know what the best thing to do is just pray. It's a real good thing to get into praying with your kids, praying with your husband and with your wife. You know, I, I know a woman that had trouble uh, not abusing her children, but she would definitely lose her temper, and she said it wasn't godly. And so we talked about this praying in time of temptation. And so you know what she began to do? She began to call her kids in and she would say, Johnny, we need to pray. And they would pray right then. And Johnny knew what was going to happen at the end of that prayer oftentimes. But the whole point is he recognized prayer was a time for, for praying and he would pray. And then he finally began praying, pray, Lord, please save me from my mom sometimes. I mean, that's why he learned how to pray. He learned what prayer was for. It was for asking God for help in time of need. And that's what we're talking about. To pray the instant. When you're driving down the road, where does the Bible does it say close your eyes? I want to know one verse. We pray to God when we address our thoughts to Him. You can pray with your eyes open. Pray to God instantly. Direct your thoughts toward Him. And pray the moment you're tempted. 
Pray, the Bible says, to find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews 4, verse 16. Notice in Matthew 26 and verse 41, the Amplified Version translates this passage this way. The Bible says, all of you must keep awake, give strict attention, be cautious, and watch and pray that you may not come into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Knowing that, he tells us to watch and pray. Point number four, and this is our last one. I want you to memorize this. Make yourself accountable. That's accountable, if you can't see. (laughs) I couldn't get it all in there right quick. Make yourself accountable to other Christians. In James, the fifth chapter in verse 16, by the way, it's not really talking about assembly of the church there, although we can, in the assembly of the church, confess our faults one to another. But it more often implies a private thing where we call the elders of the church, even contextually. Whatever is going on in that passage, he's saying you get a hold of somebody else in the body of Jesus Christ. You who are, the book of Galatians, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Whenever we, in the body of Christ, have trouble in spiritual victory in our life, God has equipped us with the congregation to be a source of help as well. That is one of the reasons why God gave us a congregation. Read 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. Read Romans, the 12th chapter. Whenever he says you're parts of one another. We have this access, this great access to help from our brothers and sisters as well. The Bible says confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye might be healed. We can find healing in doing that. And acknowledging with one another of where we're growing and what we need to do. We need to make ourselves accountable to one another. It is so important that we do that. I know of one preacher that needed to do that. He said he he didn't want to disappoint anyone in the congregation. He was having trouble with temptation. And so he he didn't do that. And he said had he done that, he probably would not have been where he was then. He had literally run off with another woman in the church. All because he disobeyed God whenever God says, make yourself accountable to somebody. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another. My friends, if you're having trouble, get somebody to help you overcome. That's why we're together. We're supposed to be strengthening one another. In what the Bible says in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 about one of the purposes of the assembly is what? To encourage one another to love and good works. That's the relationship we're supposed to have with one another. There's many, many Christians who think they can do it by themselves and wonder why God told them to assemble, why God told them to interact and relate with one another. And if they would just read 1 Corinthians 12, they would find out one person does not a body make. God knew that we needed a fellowship God knew we needed congregations, and it's His design. Don't short-circuit it. It's God's wisdom, not ours, and God told us to confess our faults one to another. So who are you to think you're smarter than He is? It might save you some embarrassment. It might also cost you your soul. Confess your faults one. Now, that doesn't mean to any and everybody. You who are spiritual, restore such a one. If I had family troubles, there are some people I wouldn't go to with my family trouble. 
There's some preachers that, by the way they behave, I don't want them. <laughs> I wouldn't ask them for counsel in marriage problems. Maybe they have trouble with anger. Maybe they have trouble with other kinds of things. Find people who are mature in the area you're having a problem with. Doesn't that make sense? You who are spiritual, restore. That's right. Find somebody that's qualified to help you. Find a brother or sister that's needed. Wives, if you've got problems loving your husbands, find an older woman. Because she is supposed to encourage the younger women to love their husbands. Find an older woman that loves her husband. (laughs) And then be encouraged by that. Don't go to somebody who's having the same problems with their husband that you're having with yours. Don't find somebody that's having the same problems you're having to confess. All you'll do is feed each other. Find somebody that may tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. That's right. Now this is the Bible's solutions to that. To our problems in this world. To growth in, our, in this world. And I, and I told myself I would quit. Okay. We're going to stop. There's much more. If you have more questions, please just ask. We'll try to give, uh, to be more helpful to us in our life. You know, holiness, without which we will not see the Lord. Holiness is so important in our life. And it's a forgotten church topic. Those who have inching ears only want to hear sermons about the worship because that's so dispassionate and disconnected from the way they live and the attitudes they have. Preach to me about the worship. Tell me how good we all are as a group because then I don't have to be personally accountable to following Jesus Christ. And I want you to know that's itching ears. We have enough congregations that have preached on the fundamentals so long about worship that, that we think that as long as we got the worship right, we're following Jesus. And I'm sad to say that's nothing more than feeding, scratching itching ears. That is, it's high time we preach the whole counsel of God. And I want you to know that the churches in the Bible, especially in the book of Revelation, I believe they were probably worship God probably pretty right in the book of Revelation by the time that book was written. Now, Corinth had been corrected. Other churches had come along. But their personal holiness is what God calls us to so many times. You write down all the verses in the Bible that have to do with worship. And then you look at the percentage of those as in contrast to the ones that tell us about our attitudes and the way of life that we're supposed to have. Now, I'm not trying to say one is more important than the other. You've got to have both. But so many times in the church, we deceive ourselves because we think we got five things right. We, our life is a shambles. Our home is a shambles. Our behavior, our morality, and our ethics, we are unclear. We have no idea. And it's about time we grew up, church, and recognized, and recognized we've got to follow Jesus. We've got to imitate Him in our behavior in our heart. We wouldn't have to preach about the necessity for personal evangelism if we all had the heart of Christ. If we had a love for the lost as He did. We wouldn't have to be exhorting everybody to go out there and seek the lost. 
we'd all be concerned. So the real need of the church, these things you ought to have done, not left the other undone. We need to make sure we have pure worship. We need to make sure that we're following after the pattern set in the scriptures. To do no more, no less, not to the right or the left of the path that Jesus trod. But we're going to have to do that in the way we live with our wives. Husbands, you can go to hell for not honoring your wife, 1 Peter 3, 7. Wives, you can go to hell for not honoring your husbands, Ephesians 5, 23. You can go to hell for not bringing up your children to nurture instruction, Lord, Ephesians 6, 5, 3 through 5. You can, you can do all kinds of things. But my friends, just because we worship correctly in a corporate sense does not mean that we individually are following Jesus. So let's resurrect the importance of personal holiness and purity. Let's resurrect the idea of imitation of Jesus and realize how vitally important it is for us to be conformed to His image to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Romans 12, 1 through 3. Tonight, if you're here and you want to follow Jesus, it's going to be more than just a few hours a week. It's going to be every moment you breathe. It's going to be a living sacrifice. It's going to be when you rise up, when you sit down. It's going to be when you walk with your children, by the way. It's going to be when you're at the store. It's going to be when you're at work. It's going to be when you're at school. It's going to be when you're in the hall. It's going to be whenever you're having recreation. It's going to be whenever you're sleeping at night. The Lord and His way is going to be with you 24 hours for the rest of your life. Every breath you take, my friends, Christianity is everything left of your life. Anything else is cheap gospel. It's cheap Christianity. If you want cheap Christianity, go somewhere else. If you want to follow Jesus Christ, it takes a living sacrifice tonight. It takes all of you. It takes your heart, soul, mind, strength. Ambition is to be pleasing to Him in all things. So tonight... Repent. Change applies to all of us. Acts 17.30, God is now commanding all men everywhere to repent. Won't you in your faith repent of your sins tonight? Confess His name before men, Matthew 10.32, and be immersed in water for the remission of your sins, Acts 2.38, and then be raised to walk a new life, having laid aside the old one with its evil passions and desires and took up a life of following Jesus Christ with the rest of your life. Great goal. Great plan. It'll never work unless you're willing to, number three, put forth the effort. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 730 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.